podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Welcome. My name is David Ritchie, and I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor of Redeemer Christian Church. If you're a regular Redeemer family member, if you're someone who has attended our services in the past, if this is your very first time engaging us in our online service, I just want to extend an invitation to you and say, I'm so glad that you're here, and I want to wish you a very happy Easter. If you're a guest, and this is your first experience with Redeemer and any form of ministry that we have, we are delighted that you tuned in this week, and I want to encourage you to consider being connected to our local church. The mission of Redeemer Christian Church is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ with our words and to display the gospel of Jesus Christ with our lives to our neighbors and to the nations. The way that that mission now takes place has changed. We're limited in our capacity to gather. We can't do things like go on a mission trip to Juarez, Mexico and build a house for a family in need. But nevertheless, the mission of God always moves forward. We're delighted that this is a time where we've been creative in different ways to be able to make masks for our medical professionals, to be able to provide food for our medical professionals. We've worked hard to be able to organize people to take care of kids, of first responders. We've even donated blood at our church facility. Um, This is a time where there is great need, and the mission of the gospel continues to go forth. And so we're gathering in different ways right now. We're worshiping together online. We're meeting in gospel communities online. We're praying for one another online, and we're checking in on one another and trying to serve one another. And we want to invite you to be able to participate in that. We want you to be a part of that in any way that you can. In fact, we still are supporting local and international missions and organizations that are doing important work across the world in this crucial time. If you want to be a part of supporting that mission financially, I want to encourage you to give to Redeemer Christian Church to support our mission. You can give online at RedeemerChristianChurch.com, or you can mail in a physical check at our physical property at 3701 South Sauncey here in Amarillo, Texas, zip code 79119. Every little bit that is given really does help us declare the gospel and display the gospel. And we believe that in this very challenging time, that the hope of the gospel is all the more important to be able to be seen and displayed. Our light shines in the midst of this darkness, and we are called to participate in what Jesus is still doing in this world. So without any further ado, I do want to turn your attention to the very foundation of our hope, the reason that we are a people of hope on this Easter Sunday. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 24, which is where our reading is going to come from today. Today, we're going to be reading Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through verse 32. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna 
and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen visions of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, by which you have defeated death and darkness and given us hope for everlasting light. Today, as we behold your scriptures, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the eyes to behold the risen Christ, so that in seeing him, the power of his life would flow in us and through us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Long before I ever became a pastor, I've always been amused by church signs. I've always wondered the process that goes into making those church signs, especially the ones that are clever, the ones that are funny. I remember seeing church signs along the lines of, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you'd like to meet him. And I've always wondered at the fact of what goes into the process of making the decisions of what is going to go on to that church marquee. Is that 
something that the pastor himself has to come up with? Is that a part of his job description? Or is there a committee of people that meet on a weekly basis and come up with whatever clever thing they want to put on the church marquee? My favorite of all time is probably, we're all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. If you've noticed, Redeemer Christian Church has a church sign, and we really haven't changed it for the last eight and a half years. I mean, for more than a decade, it said the exact same thing day after day, year after year. And what it says is that it's all about Jesus. That's something that we believe. We do believe that it's all about Jesus. And we have the same thing on our sign, not because we're lazy or because we're lacking in the clever department. We say that it's all about Jesus. And we publicly display that it's all about Jesus because it's perhaps the deepest core value that we have as a church. We do believe that the Bible is all about Jesus, that all of church should be about Jesus, that in fact, all of life is about Jesus, that all of human history points to Jesus. And the reason that it's all about Jesus is because of Easter Sunday and what Easter Sunday represents, that Jesus Christ did die, but he rose again from the dead, never to die again. And if that is true, it means certainly that everything has to be all about Jesus, Because if Jesus had only died on the cross, he really wouldn't be that special. There are lots of people that die very sad deaths, very sacrificial deaths even. But those people stay dead. Jesus Christ did something entirely different that put him into a category that is really all by himself. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. He is enthroned right now in heaven. And one day he is going to return and heal all things that are broken. And this is true only because the resurrection is real. In fact, as one theologian has rightly said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central linchpin of the Christian faith. If the resurrection did not happen, then Jesus does not matter. But if the resurrection did happen, Jesus is all that matters. The passage of Scripture that we read today, Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 32, really is a passage of Scripture that shows, I think greater than every Scripture in the Bible, that indeed all things are about Jesus, that all of the Bible, that all of life is about Jesus. And on this Easter Sunday, I want to briefly unpack three things in this text that I believe that the resurrection shows us that are so important for our daily lives today. Number one, because of the resurrection, Jesus walks with us in our pain, even when we can't see him. Number two, because of the resurrection, we can understand what the Bible is all about. And number three, because of the resurrection, we can personally know and have relationship with the risen Jesus. Point number one, because of the resurrection, Jesus walks with us in our pain even when we can't see him. Verse 13 begins with a phrase, that very day. That day is the first Easter Sunday. Three days earlier, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified and killed on a Roman cross. Afterward, he was laid in a tomb. And early, the dawn on that Sunday, several women who were his followers came to mourn at his tomb. They had brought along spices to be able to anoint his body with. But to their astonishment, when they arrive at the tomb, a large stone has been rolled away. They stoop into the tomb and they find it empty. And as they are trying to find their bearings in this moment, they are greeted by two angels in dazzling white apparel. 
Those angels tell them that Jesus is not dead, but rather he is risen from the dead. Immediately, these women run back to the disciples. They tell them everything they've seen, and they're not exactly met with faith. They're not exactly met with great joy. Instead, the disciples presume that these women are hysterical, that they're beginning to see things in their grief. However, some of them, including Peter, go and run to the tomb, and they find it just as the women had described it. It's completely empty. And this is where verse 13 picks up. It's that very day, the very same Easter Sunday of Jesus' resurrection, that two of Jesus' followers are walking down a road from the city of Jerusalem to the smaller town of Emmaus, just seven miles away. These two disciples aren't famous people. One of them is named Cleopas. We don't even know the name of the other disciple. Some scholars think that it was Cleopas' son or wife because this was an important family in the early church. But they are not members of the original 12 disciples. They are walking down the road And they're trying to discuss all of the things that have happened over these last few days. And as they are walking, and as they are talking, Jesus himself begins to walk right alongside them. For whatever reason, their eyes are kept from recognizing him, verse 16 says. So from the two disciples and their perspective, what happens next is really just a stranger interrupting their very sad and grievous conversation. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood looking sad. That moment when Jesus asks this question of them, they stop dead in their tracks, and this look of grief and sadness overwhelms their expression. Maybe it was that they were trying to figure out who this man was and why he was asking them this question. After all, it would have taken some level of courage to say that they followed a man who had just been executed as an enemy of the state. But whatever case, they respond with a sense of bewilderment. They begin to let this stranger know about Jesus of Nazareth, this man who was considered to be a prophet, mighty in word and mighty in deed, a man who spoke God's word, a man who moved with miraculous power as he displays signs and wonders in the power of God. This was a man that they thought would be the great deliverer of God's people. They thought that this one would be the redeemer who would bring God's kingdom on earth. But then Jesus, their beloved master, their beloved follower, was captured. He was tortured. He was brutally murdered. The hopes that these disciples have were now crushed. To make things weirder and even more strange... It's been a few days since this has happened, and people are beginning to say that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive again. These women have come to them telling them about these great visions that have happened. Could this be true? There's a sense of irony in the question that they then ask of Jesus. They ask him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now think about this. There's literally no one else on the planet that is more familiar with what has just happened in the last few days than Jesus. He knows their pain. In fact, he has experienced their pain to a degree that they cannot fathom in this moment. He knows their pain better than they do. Some of you right now in this moment might be in a place of deep disappointment. It may be that your life right now is not in a place where you want it to be. 
Maybe things didn't turn out the way that you expected. Maybe the current pandemic that we're experiencing as a nation and a world has left you in a place of isolation, a place of fear, a place of great pressure and stress. Maybe it's left you in a place where you're in financial need at this very moment. Maybe you're bitter at God. Maybe you're bitter at the church. Maybe you're in a place of doubt or depression. What I want you to know is that right now there is a risen Savior who's willing to walk with you down that road of doubt and depression and disappointment. That he knows and has experienced your pain to a degree that you cannot imagine. That he knows what it is to suffer. That he is willing to walk down this road with you. That he has tasted rejection. He has known betrayal. He has tasted even the sting of death itself. He is there with you, even if you don't have the eyes to see him. Point number two. Because of the resurrection, we can understand what the Bible is all about. Now, it's clear from what the disciple Cleopas says that because Jesus died on a cross, in Cleopas' mind, there is no way that he could possibly be the promised Messiah. There's no way that he could be the Redeemer. But in reality, it's only because Jesus died on the cross that he can be and that he is, in fact, the Redeemer. Jesus corrects Cleopas's mistaken opinion with what I can only assume is the very greatest Sunday school lesson that has ever been taught. He says, beginning in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this really is a profound section of Scripture. Jesus is point-blank claiming that the entirety of the Old Testament Scripture is all about him, that Genesis all the way to Malachi is prefiguring and predicting who Jesus is, who he was going to be, what he was going to accomplish, even the fact that he was going to die and rise again. In other words, The Bible really is all about Jesus. However, that's not the way that many of us are tempted to read the Bible. And the Bible does contain good advice. It gives us great advice and wisdom of how to live our lives, but it's not primarily a book that's about us. And so if we approach the Holy Scripture as only a manual about how we are to live life, I do think that we're going to miss the point of Scripture. And you see this a lot of times. We can take a story like a famous story like David and Goliath. And we can think about David facing the giant while he's trusting in the Lord. And we can say, well, that's a story about us, about how we can face our giants. And if we have enough trust in God, we can overcome our greatest giants. And certainly there is an element of that story that is about us having greater faith in God. But the deepest level of meaning that is behind David and Goliath is not about us and the giants that we face. It's about Jesus Christ who is the true and better David, who faced the greatest giant that we will ever face, the giant of death, and he has overcome that giant. And he's imputed that victory to us. So who are we in the story? We are the children of Israel, standing behind our king, who is fighting a battle that we could have never won for ourselves. But because of that king and what he has done, we get to stand in victory. I don't know the exact words that Jesus used in his Bible lesson that he gave to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I can only imagine what was said. But what we do know what was said is that 
All of the Bible was pointing to him. All of the Old Testament was prefiguring who he is and what he would do. I imagine it would have sounded something like this. These are some words from one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Timothy Keller of New York City. He says that Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who though innocently slain has blood now that cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all that was comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it for themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so that the angel of death would pass over us. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible is not about you. It's about him. Point number three. Because of the resurrection, we can personally know and have relationship with Jesus. Now, I imagine by this point, the disciples were simply amazed at the words of Jesus. And they could have stopped and gone into their home and simply just marveled at the great Bible lesson that they just received. And the Bible really makes it explicit in this point that Jesus was willing to keep on walking and to go further. But instead, the disciples invite him into the home. They urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. They invite Jesus into their lodging place, and there they share a meal together. And it's here in this moment of communion, of fellowship, that at long last their eyes are opened, and they recognize Jesus for who he is. Now, there really is so much going on in this passage, the breaking of bread and how Jesus is revealed in this moment. We even see here the the two pillars of Christian worship, the word of God and the sacrament working together to reveal Christ Jesus to the people of God. But the thing I want to emphasize today is that because Jesus Christ is alive, because he is a resurrected savior, that means that we can do more than just learn about him, but we can truly have a relationship with him, that we can share personal fellowship with the living God. It is entirely possible for these disciples to have received a phenomenal Bible lesson, but then go on with the rest of their lives 
and fail to truly recognize and share fellowship with Jesus himself. And sadly, there are thousands upon thousands of people in West Texas that claim to be Christians, and they know a lot about Jesus. They have received a lot of great Bible lessons, but they do not truly know Jesus. They do not truly have relationship with him. My hope for you in this Easter season is that you would hear the words of the gospel and that you would invite Jesus to come home with you, that you would enter into a true relationship with Jesus, that you would know him more than just knowing about him, that you would share fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit. Today, I extend that invitation of the gospel to you, to repent and to believe, to turn away from sin and selfishness and turn toward a God that is so much better. At the end of the day, we we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn the love of God, but we can rest in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. We can believe in his cross. We can believe in the power of his resurrection. And we can rest in hope that believing in the gospel has made a way for us to be able to truly know and worship Jesus. If you need to become a Christian today, I really do encourage you to contact us. You can email us. You can text us at the information below. But we would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. We'd love to walk with you on this journey. And for everybody today, on this Easter Sunday, I encourage us not to be a people that respond to the gospel of Jesus' resurrection in a neutral way, but that we would rejoice in the victory of God, that we would find rest and hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that we would know that despite what is happening in the crazy world that is around us, that God is bending all things towards redemption and resurrection, because it really is all about Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the triumphant resurrection of your Son and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, you have entered into our pain. Through Jesus, you have entered into our suffering. Through Jesus, you have overcome the power of death itself. It's in this time of great trial and uncertainty that we thank you that you are the shepherd of our souls. You walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. You walk with us even when our eyes are prevented from recognizing your presence. As we enter into this Easter season, may your spirit give us eyes to see Jesus in all of life and in all of scripture so that our hearts too would burn to draw near to you because you, O Lord, have drawn near to us. We pray that we find great hope in your resurrection in this season. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.